Okay, uh, good evening. We are uh, lesson number 86. Hopefully that's the sheet you got tonight, lesson number 86. And if you're just going to follow along in the Bible, we're going to be back in the book of Luke tonight. Uh, Luke's uh, starting in chapter 18, verse 35, and then we'll move right into Luke chapter 19. Uh, we've sort of got three different accounts jammed into this one lesson, so hopefully we can get to each of them. We're not going to be able to spend uh, too much time on each one, even though each one probably could deserve a whole class period. But uh, unfortunately, they sort of crammed these three uh, lessons all into one, so we'll see how we do here tonight. But if uh, you weren't with us on Sunday morning, just to kind of catch you up where we were, uh, we looked at uh, this lesson concerning about, you know, we sort of asked the question, you know, what do we want to be when we grow up spiritually, spiritually? And uh, Jesus, of course, he, he's, they're heading towards Jerusalem. Uh, they're walking, uh, they're making their way south uh, towards Jerusalem uh, to the, his final week. And uh, Jesus there is, um, he foretells his death. You know, this is something he's done before. Uh, this isn't new to him. Uh, but uh, he's, this time around, he gives a little bit more detail as to what's going to happen uh, when they get there. Of course, we're told that the people around him, the disciples and the crowd, they're, they're amazed and they're fearful of uh, this event. And we sort of mentioned that uh, we think that you know, maybe a lot of them were fearful because they were making their way to Jerusalem, uh, where Jesus really isn't welcomed uh, as far as the Jewish leaders are concerned. Uh, they've already, uh, we, rem we remember a few months ago, uh, learning about how they've already started organizing uh, an effort to have Jesus killed. And so the disciples are a little fearful at this point. You know? Again, they're heading towards Jerusalem, uh, but Jesus mentions again that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be turned over uh, to the Gentiles, meaning the Roman uh, officials there. And remember, he says the things that are going to happen to him by the Romans, uh, that they're, they're going to uh, beat him and spit upon him and scourge him and eventually kill him. And then he mentions, but he's going to be resurrected. But again, the disciples, they just don't, they don't understand. You know, they don't have the full picture of what's going on. And at that point, uh, we have two apostles speak up, uh, James and John, uh, these two brothers, the, th the sons of thunder. And uh, Matthew's account mentions their mother was involved in this. But you remember James and John oh, uh, speak up and say, you know, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, let us be at your left and right hand. You know, let us be your, our, your top corporals. Let us be uh, sitting there uh, upon these thrones. Uh, right next to you, and uh, of course, uh, you know, the, before they asked that question, though, you remember they said, Jesus, we want you to do this one thing for us, right? Sort of as a, a little child when they go to mom and dad and they know that maybe they're not going to get uh, an answer that they like, they sort of come up to you and say, hey, before I ask this, you know, just make, say yes, you know, say yes, and that's really what it sounded like uh, James and John were doing. Uh, but, of course, Jesus says, what, would, what do you want me to do for you? And they make that request. Let us sit on your left and right hand. And, you know, Jesus really, um, you know, at that question, he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that, uh, I was or that I'm able to be baptized? And, again, he's speaking figuratively about uh, the persecution the, the, and all of that that's about to happen, how hard it is. They said yes, 
And yes, we're able to do that, do those things. And Jesus said, uh, of course, you know, uh, yes, but uh, for me to offer a spot on my left and right, that's not for me to decide. And of course, uh, were the other 10 apostles uh, happy about that request that was made? They, no, they weren't. They were, they were mad. They were indignant, the, the scriptures say, uh, because, you know, they probably wanted those positions of power as well. So Jesus, from that point on, gave um, sort of this little pep talk to them saying, listen, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. Right? If you want to be great, you need to be a slave to all. And, you know, of course, the, the, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. And so... Um, so that was our study on Sunday morning, and so we're going to continue right along uh, in the scriptures here as Jesus is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And uh, again, we'll be in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse uh, 35, and then getting right into Luke uh, 19. Uh, but sort of to tie these lessons together, we're going to ask the question here tonight, how much do you desire to be in the presence of Christ. How much do we desire to be in his presence? What would you do to see Jesus? Uh, we're going to notice uh, one individual or, or maybe two that uh, you know, we often refer to as blind Bartimaeus. And uh, he's this beggar and uh, he is going to pretty much you know, do what he can to get Jesus's attention. Uh, but then uh, when we get into Luke 19, we're going to notice another individual who wants to see Jesus, uh, but this is a little bit different. He's going to climb up into a tree uh, to see him. And, and then at the end, uh, we're going to notice a parable. Uh, Jesus is going to give a parable really to uh, focus on you know, not being uh, too late when it comes to um, coming to him. So again, we're going to look at these two stories, this one parable. Hopefully we can get through all of this as Jesus is almost to Bethany. Uh, he is... Uh, we think he's near Jericho or in Jericho at this point. And Luke is the only one that gives us all three of these accounts. So that's why we're going to study Luke's uh, here. So let's uh, get uh, into Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. And let's uh, read this passage about uh, Bartimaeus. So as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded them, commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Okay, so uh, here's an account in scripture. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this for us, this, um, this account. Uh, but normally, when, uh, whenever we study uh, this story of blind Bartimaeus, uh, sometimes we don't get to focus too much, too much on you know, what's actually happening, what Jesus you know, wants us to learn from this. 
uh, because there uh, are some differences between Matthew, Mark, and Luke when it comes to this account that uh, we sometimes maybe get hung up on a little bit. Uh, Matthew's account mentions that there are two blind men uh, that are begging here. Uh, but, but Mark and Luke, they only mention the one. Uh, Mark is the only one that lets us know this man's name. Right? Why do you think, why do you think um, you know, Matthew might uh, talk about these two beggars, but um, Mark and Luke only mention Bartimaeus? Okay. It's probably, uh, you know, Bartimaeus of the two uh, was the most recognizable, and uh, um, Mark and Luke just simply are going to emphasize him, right? Uh, there were two beggars here at this, at this account, uh, but Matthew's the only one that lets us know that there are two, uh, while Mark and Luke are just going to focus in on Bartimaeus. And so, um, so again, I know a lot of people, when they're studying this account, because we want to do that, right? When we're studying uh, in the gospel accounts, we want to look at uh, what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John have to say uh, about the accounts, if they're both, or if all of them are talking about that. And, of course, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke do talk about this account. Uh, and so when you do that, you're going to notice that Matthew mentions two beggars, uh, while Mark and Luke only mention the one, uh, Bartimaeus. And again, Mark's the only one that lets us know his name. Uh, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. You know, that word bar uh, means son of. And uh, so obviously he was the son of Timaeus. And so that's who we have here. And, uh, and, but here's the important detail that all three of them uh, really want us to understand is that it was what? It was what that made Bartimaeus well? His faith. Yeah, right. It was his faith. That, they all emphasize that here in those accounts. And again, um, you know, sometimes we fail to mention or to see that when we're so focused in on, uh, you know, what some people like to bring up again, uh, that, oh, there's two beggars versus one beggar. But um, there's no contradiction here. Uh, Mark and Luke just simply just focus in on Bartimaeus. And so uh, we, we see uh, these different aspects of their faith. Uh, first, uh, the confession of their faith. Right? Who do they refer to Jesus as when they find out that uh, Jesus is approaching them? Son of David. Son of David. What, is, what, what sort of title is that? Sorry? Okay, descendant of David. It's the lineage. The lineage? Of the Messiah. Of the Messiah. Yeah, uh, to refer to somebody as the son of David in that time, uh, they're, they're thinking, uh, you know, this is, this is the Messiah, right? This is the Christ. And that's exactly who these individuals, uh, these, blind, these two blind men are referring to Jesus as, the, the son of David. The, he's the Messiah, right? They, that's what they're proclaiming uh, to the people. So uh, we see here that uh, they're expressing their belief uh, from, from the onset. Right? The, uh, however they knew that, uh, you know, we're not told whether they've heard stories about him or, or maybe other uh, interactions beforehand. But they believe that this is Jesus, the son of David, Jesus, the Messiah. And so they're crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. We also notice about their faith is that they were persistent. 
What did uh, the crowd want them to do? Yeah, be silent, uh, be quiet, stop bothering Jesus. Uh, they're discouraging them. Here's another aspect of their faith is that they were persistent uh, in, uh, again, their faith. Uh, they're willing the, to let people know about their condition, right? How many times do we uh, not want others to know about, you know, what's going on in our lives? That happens quite a bit, doesn't it? But we've got this individual. Uh, this should encourage us as we read about Bartimaeus is that, you know, this, again, here's a physically impaired individual. He's blind. Uh, he's economically disadvantaged, right, because he's a beggar. He's a social outcast, right? They're, they're trying to correct this man. Um, you know, be quiet. You, you can't speak up here. And, uh, of course, again, he's emotionally distraught, right, because he's, he's begging for mercy, uh, this man was shameless, but in a good way, right? He, he was shameless in a good way. He wasn't going to let the individuals uh, stop him from calling out to Jesus, uh, have mercy on me. And he did yeah, exactly. So, again, we see his faith in action, right? He's persistent, calling out to Jesus, um, um, you know, help us. And so, uh, again, and, and with all the things against him, you know, being blind, being a social outcast, uh, uh, being a beggar, he still had the courage to speak up and to uh, get Jesus' attention. And uh, we also noticed that uh, they were obedient, uh, because Jesus says, bring them to me. And so the two of them, they go to Jesus. They ask, um, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for them? And they say, uh, open our eyes. And uh, because of that, uh, we see how they respond uh, to that. They, they, um, <clears throat> they're glorifying God, right? They're trusting his promises. Uh, I like that verse, that last verse in this chapter, verse 43. It says, um, when they began following him, glorifying God, and when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. What did the blind man's faith, or what did the blind men's faith do for the, for the people there watching? Had to make them believers, had to make them stop and think about their own faith, had to make them get a boost or whatever the word is. Yeah. Do people see, need to see our faith in action as well? Amen. Yeah, um, it's encouraging, right? And so uh, they see these two men uh, glorifying God, and so it's getting them pumped up uh, as well, and they're praising God. And again, uh, this, you know, again, this, is account, this account, we're, we're kind of going through it fast here tonight because we have so much to cover, but, you know, we see the, these men's faith in action, right? Faith I always have remembered, you know, the best way to remember faith is uh, sort of a, you know, this perfect blend of belief and obedience and trust. Right? Uh, you have all three of those things together, and you've got a faith, and, and that's what these men had. They had a belief that he was the Son of God. Uh, they, they obeyed uh, by coming to Jesus, and again, they trusted in his promises. So, uh, again, another uh, powerful example of those who... Um, are seeking Jesus, 
because of their physical ailments, they're, they're seeking Jesus. And so let's notice uh, here as we move into chapter 19, uh, someone who's going to seek Jesus, but maybe for a different reason. So uh, chapter 19, um, we're probably very familiar with this account as well, uh, starting in verse 1. So he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When he saw it, uh, they, excuse me, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of everything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So hopefully that verse, at least verse 10, is very familiar to you. Uh, Jesus' mission, right? To come to seek and to save the lost. And so um, probably, again, one of those uh, accounts in Scripture that we're very familiar with. You know, VBS, lots of VBS uh, uh, around that. Or even children in Bible class, we often will teach this to them. And again, uh, it's very... Uh, fairly easy to remember, right? So you got this, the, the wee little man, right? Isn't that the, how the song goes? The wee little man. And he climbs up into what sort of a tree? The sycamore tree. And uh, Jesus sees him and he says, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus' life has is, is changed from that point forward. And, you know, maybe we sort of teach them a couple of different lessons from that account as, uh, you know, no matter how bad you are, Jesus cares about you. Or, again, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Um, I was trying to kind of decide how to uh, go through this, uh, this account here. And um, when I was looking at my uh, inventory of uh, sermons that I've had saved and collected uh, on this account, there was a ton of them. You know, the, the preachers, uh, I guess, love preaching on this account. And so I had to kind of go through and select one that I thought might help us uh, this evening. And so let's think of some lessons that we can think of from Zacchaeus. Um, Number one, uh, we must overcome what others might think. Uh, Was this a normal tax collector? Yeah, he was the chief tax collector. So uh, maybe this is the number one guy in that area. Right, so uh, are, are tax collectors seen in a favorable light? No. no. And so he's the chief tax collector. And so uh, maybe there's even some more animosity towards this individual. Right? The tax collectors are collecting. Uh, they're, they're usually of Jewish descent, uh, but they're seen as traitors to the nation because they're collect- collecting taxes for the Roman government. They're probably taking a little bit off the top as well for themselves. And so, uh, of course, they're, they're despised. They're often, the Pharisees often lump them with the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners. And so here we have the chief tax collector. And 
Again, they're usually corrupt, and we're going to, and as we've read in this parable, or not this parable, but this account, uh, he was, right? We can, we can imply that he was one who um, probably uh, took a little bit off the top to, uh, to fund his own pockets. And so, um, so in order to see Jesus, okay, so we have this tax collector. He, he, he wants to know who Jesus is as Jesus comes into a town, and um, he's got to go among the people, doesn't he, to uh, get a glimpse of this. Again, he, he's not well-liked. He's got to go among the people. And what else is sort of a disadvantage for him? He's short, isn't he? And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the people, uh, you know, made fun of him because of that. And so he's got a couple of strikes against, against him uh, as far as seeing Jesus. He's going to have to deal with the crowd. Uh, he's going to have to deal with uh, those who might not like him. And so he goes up into that sycamore tree to get a, a better view of what's going on. And, but he did what he had to do, didn't he? He did what he had to do. Um, do we sometimes care more about what people think than what God thinks? Yeah. And so uh, Zacchaeus is a good example for us that, uh, you know, he did what he had to do to see Jesus. And again, um, that's something that we need to remember as well. Um, because we're going to fail. We're going to fail every time we try to, to please man. Right? We just, we can't, um, we can't satisfy uh, everyone. And so, um, again, Zacchaeus here is a great example of someone who uh, put God first uh, as far as seeing Jesus. He didn't care of the, uh, the people around him. And again, uh, we must overcome what others might think of us uh, in our faith. And we must overcome personal inconveniences. Again, do you think it was a little awkward for him to be up in that tree uh, as Jesus comes into town? It probably was, wasn't it? And uh, he probably stood out like a sore thumb to the people. Uh, but also think about this. Uh, was Zacchaeus uh, expecting to have a dinner guest that night? No. He wasn't, was he? And uh, you think maybe his house was a little bit messy that day? Or... You know, maybe the wife was expecting to go out and do something else. Maybe, right? And so, um, but we, we have to overcome personal inconveniences. Uh, we need to adjust to Jesus rather than having Jesus adjust to us. And that's exactly what's going on here with uh, Zacchaeus. Um, but it, the scriptures do say that he received him gladly, right? Um, or rejoicing. This wasn't something that, again, uh, he was upset about or inconvenienced, but he is going to receive him gladly. And, um, you know, that's a question for us. You know, would, are we ready uh, if Jesus uh, asked to come to our house today? You know, would we be ready for him? He says here in verses 7 through 10, Again, he says, if I have defrauded anyone, you know, again, the implication here is that he, um, that he did uh, take off the top, possibly, uh, because he says he's going to restore those four times what he might have defrauded from others, uh, which is pretty generous. Uh, if you read the, the old law, uh, Numbers chapter 5 or 7 says that the, that the law of Moses demanded a restitution of one-fifth. 
You know, so one-fifth of what you stole, you were to give back. So let's say he stole $100. Uh, one-fifth of that would have been uh, $20, and so uh, he would have to repay $120, right? You steal $100, you need to repay $120. Uh, you give that one-fifth uh, back. But again, Zacchaeus says he's going to restore four times as much. And so, um, so, instead of, so if he stole 100 he's going to give uh, 400 right? And so... Uh, we see here again that he, uh, you know, he's uh, he's going to pay the price, right? He's going to pay the price to uh, live this uh, this moral moral life. Um, he's going to stay true to God's moral demands. Uh, he's going to make restitution for what uh, he had he had done here. And uh, again, we can think about that in our own lives. Uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse nine: Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Uh, do we abhor what is evil? Uh, do, do we hate sin? Uh, abhor it. Um, and so are we willing to go as far as Zacchaeus as well? Sorry again, I know we're rushing through these, uh, but I just want to get to this last one here uh, with our time left. Uh, this parable that Jesus is going to give here in verses 11 through 27. So let, let's go read, read this. And as we read through this, uh, kind of think in the back of your mind, you know, maybe, maybe I've heard this somewhere uh, before. Uh, maybe this sounds a little familiar. Uh, so Luke 19, starting in verse 11. Uh, While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, master, your mina has been made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you do not lay down, and reap what you do not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank and having come, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he has 10 minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has more shall be given but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Okay. So, th did that a parable sound uh, familiar to anyone? Yeah, exactly. So um, later on, Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents, 
uh, Jesus is going to give in a different context, a different location to different people. But uh, it sounds very familiar, and uh, we kind of do a disservice when we try to uh, incorporate that, um, the Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, with uh, this, uh, this, uh, this parable. And so, uh, because the parable of the talents is probably more popular, we've probably heard more lessons on it than this one uh, here. And so, uh, we're talking a different... Um, unit of measurement, a, a different monetary value. Instead of a talent, we're talking about minas. And I guess one talent is about 60 minas, so uh, this isn't as lucrative as, uh, as what uh, you know, Matthew chapter 25 is talking about. But again, we have here um, a, another misunderstanding of the kingdom, right? And so the disciples uh, are... Uh, well, we're told right there in verse 11 that Jesus went on to tell this parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And so uh, they're thinking that as soon as they get there, uh, this, this kingdom is going, this physical kingdom is going to begin. And so Jesus has to give this parable uh, to uh, <clears throat> remind them that, you know, that it's not going to work that way. So... Again, we could talk about the different characters within this, this parable here. We've got this nobleman, uh, this master. Uh, of course, this is going to be in reference to Jesus. And he's going to go into this distant country to receive a kingdom. Uh, that's going to represent heaven, of course. So he, Jesus goes, uh, he ascends to heaven. And during this time, uh, before he returns to earth, uh, is you know, that, that second coming. So... Um, so when Jesus returns, he's going to, uh, you know, uh, make an account of all of his, uh, his, his people, right? And so the, uh, the slaves here in this parable are his disciples. Uh, the citizens are uh, most likely the Jews. And, you know, the delegation there are the Jewish leaders. And so, uh, you know, just kind of boil down everything uh, that we've seen here. Again, those first two slaves... Uh, they were given um, something to produce, and uh, they, uh, they multiplied what they were given, right? You have one who uh, took that mina and, and turned it into ten minas. You had the, the five turning it into five. And, of course, then you have the one who was afraid to do anything with it. And uh, the, the master, the nobleman, was not very happy with what he had done. Um, I think we're... Again, if we, if we keep going back to the parable of the talents, you know, it kind of uh, makes it a little bit more clear of what's going on. Uh, again, because we probably studied that account a lot more. But, um, you know, obviously the, the implication here in this parable is when Jesus returns, what is, is he going to find out that we've done with what he's, you know, given to us, what he's blessed us with? You know, uh, we often talk about the, the five-talent man and the, the three-talent man um, and then the one-talent man. Well, the same concepts here, right? The, the, the person who had ten, uh, he was given uh, that extra one at the end. Uh, and so, I mean, what do you think Jesus is trying to get through uh, in this, this, this parable to the people? Okay, use what we have. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great point. The 
faithful. Oh. Well, we, we can finish up our thoughts on Sunday morning, and uh, we will uh, be back in the book of John, Sunday morning, John chapter 11 into chapter 12.